Welcome to the JD Power Travel Podcast. I'm Michael Vermillion with JD Power, and with me today are Mike Taylor, who leads our travel practice, Jenny Corwin, our lead analyst for travel, and Andrea Stokes, our practice leader for hospitality. So, Mike and Jenny and Andrea, welcome. Hello. Hi. Hello. So, Mike, why don't we kick it off with the airlines today? Um, and talk about uh, the, the uh, introduction of rapid testing. I uh, saw one story about United uh, introducing uh, rapid testing for passengers going to Hawaii. And I, I guess there's some other airlines that are also adopting this. So, so what, um, what should passengers expect to see uh, as they return to the airports and, um, and um, start flying to Hawaii just in terms of the, the rapid tests? Well, it is just a a relatively simple test with rapid results that are going to be carried with you as you travel. So part of the problem with uh, the airlines has not necessarily been people being reticent to actually get on the aircraft, which we found in our research to be the biggest problem. Uh, The most concern about catching COVID occurs while people are on board an aircraft, not necessarily waiting in the airport or uh, you know, getting a ride uh, via Uber or Lyft or the taxi to the airport. So they've had to deal with that. They say, okay, well, you know, we've got that. But the other part of the issue was I don't want to travel to a destination that's going to make me stay quarantined for 14 days or have some kind of travel restriction as we have out here on the East Coast. You know, if you want to go to Vermont, you've got to be from a state that has less than 400 cases per million Um you know, uh, or you won't be allowed to travel to that destination. So they're trying to kill two birds with one stone, but the evolution of the issue has been previous to all of this, all of these other extraneous travel restrictions, was who has a legal responsibility? You know, if the airport tests you or an airline tests you and say, you know what, you know, you, you're, you tested positive, you can't fly today. Well, how does that interfere with your contract of carriage. You know, you, I bought this ticket and now you're denying me to g- get on board. Now, the problem was if the airport did it, you know, then it creates a liability for either the airport or the airline, mostly for the airline. Uh, and how does the consumer recover from that? But because we have these extraneous problems of what's happening at the destination and the restrictions you see there, and in addition, the airlines are saying, we'll simply refund your money. You know, we won't, we'll waive all those fees and make it easy for you to, you know, get your money back or be assured that if it happens to you while you're traveling, you'll get your money back. Because all they're trying to do here is encourage people to actually book, to get some cash into these companies so they can stay afloat. And so, you know, a four or five, six months ago is one legal issue. Now that's really disappeared with the fact that, uh, you know, the airlines will let you um, refund your money or change your plans. Uh, with no charge. Okay. Thanks, Mike. And uh, I'm sure there's going to be more developments here over the next uh, few days and, and weeks when it comes to um, to rapid testing. Uh, Andrea, turning to hotels, we since last time we, we did the podcast, um, uh, we published a couple of, um, of important benchmarks, right? So the annual J.D. Power um, Hotel Guest Satisfaction Study was published. And then we've added a new um, benchmark onto that this year where we're looking at third-party management companies and the satisfaction uh, rankings for those companies. So, so what were some of the key learnings um, coming out of, um, 
those studies. And, and maybe we can even just spend a minute talking about what third-party management companies are and how they impact the um, uh, guest satisfaction. Yeah, so um, yeah, for the first time, we were able to provide a benchmark for third-party management, hotel management companies. Uh, these are companies that operate hotels on behalf of their owners. Uh, many times they are franchised, uh, so they are um, operated or operating brands that we all know, um, hotel brands we all know. But the management companies um, operate the hotel on behalf of the owner, and they are responsible really for uh, the entire operation of the hotel. So the financial success of the hotel, um, the employees of the hotel, and of course, the guest experience at the hotel. And so uh, we were able to benchmark uh, the top uh, third party uh, management companies in the industry um, in terms of the number of uh, hotel rooms uh, that are under management by each company. And uh, a lot of great insights as well in terms of um, understanding why uh, hotel management companies perform well and uh, perhaps where they, they don't perform as well. Generally, we did learn that uh, staff service uh, is key uh, to uh, how the hotel management company performs on the guest experience side. And um, it's important for them, you know, to understand these dynamics because, again, hotel management companies uh, are, are the employers. Um, so even though you may be staying in uh, a well-known uh, hotel brand, likely that hotel uh, is is franchised by an owner and the owner has possibly uh, gone out to a third party operator to actually operate the hotel. And so the experience you have is really linked to the strength of that operator in terms of their employees again and um, the the strength of the operator in terms of you know just overall delivering a great guest experience. So, we're, we're very excited. It's our, it's our inaugural year for this new benchmark, but we really think it's valuable to the industry at large, um, valuable to hotel owners to understand this, uh, of course, valuable to the management company themselves, but um, also valuable to hotel developers who uh, might be developing a hotel or building a brand new hotel uh, and, you know, need to... Um, uh, you know, find an operator, right, to operate that property. So we're very excited. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's great, Andrea. So, so Jenny, just on, on the hotels and the hotel study, um, just uh, based on what, on what you've seen and the work you've done in the past, are, are there any uh, new insights or, or is it, did, did the results come in kind of as expected? I think there was a lot of it was really as we had expected and, and things that we've already seen in the hotel study. But when you really pinpoint and focus in on, on areas that apply to the hotel management companies specifically, um, I think it only enhanced some of the things we've already known. So things um, like the importance of the staff in the guest experience, um, that was really highlighted through this study because 
you know, we're really taking out some of the pieces that the, the larger brand often manages the reservation and things. And you're really getting to the what's happening to the to the guests specifically when they're in in those doors on that property. Um, and the staff is really, um, really influential at that point. And so we were able to really see that. OK, thanks, Jenny. Uh, Mike, we had another large uh, annual study published since the last time we did our podcast, and that was one that one was around airports. So, what were uh, what were some of the key findings for this year's airport study? Well, the key finding was that satisfaction actually increased as a result of COVID, which sounds counterintuitive until you think about what the biggest problem was prior to COVID was the overcapacity uh, that's been happening at airports throughout the last oh, three or four years where they just have too many people for the size of facilities that they have had. So COVID, as, they, as it decreased the crowds there, people found they could park closer. Or the, sometimes they could park free. There was no line at TSA. Um, the place was relatively empty. They didn't really have to wait in line. Uh, the the uh, loading of an aircraft was much easier because there were quite a few uh, less people than there were previously. So those few people who were flying were actually a lot happier about the uh, experience at the airport. And with a little bit of a swing factor uh, throughout the COVID period was they were just grateful that any food, beverage, and retail was open. Uh, but as the, we went into the COVID period, they were expecting a little bit more and more services to pop up. So that was really the biggest finding is that the airport satisfaction increased for all the wrong reasons. Uh, as we tell our clients all the time, this is not a prescription for success to take people out of the airport so your satisfaction goes up. Um, but the folks that, uh, that won our surveys in our different categories for the mega winner was uh, Phoenix Sky Harbor. First time they've won it. Uh, Dallas Love Field uh, won for the large category. That was the second time they've won it. And then uh, another repeat winner was Indianapolis uh, Airport in the medium category. All three airports have done a fantastic job of bringing local flavor and color into the airport and creating a destination experience rather than just a waypoint in someone's travel. That's terrific. Thanks, Mike. Uh, so switching to rental cars, uh, had a startup company um, pop up on our radar uh, recently, a firm called Kite, K-Y-T-E. And what these guys do is they'll actually uh, deliver a rental car to your door. Uh, and then when you're finished with it, they'll come pick it up, fill it up with gas, and then return it to wherever it needs to go. So Mike, um, is this a surprising uh, idea or something that we, I suppose, could just expect coming in the current COVID environment? And is this, does this have legs uh, long term? Well, in our research, the main attractant to using Uber and Lyft is that door-to-door service, which you'd get if you drove the vehicle yourself. Uh, but you you get rid of all the hassle of getting on a shuttle bus, renting the car itself, getting off the parking lot and then gassing up on the way back home and then reversing the whole process on the way back to the airport and then reversing the process. So this kite service just takes out that hassle as basically you drive your own Uber uh, or your own Lyft. Um, so that is probably, it really does not think have much to do with COVID uh, other than that, you know, everyone has these safety protocols uh, in effect, you know, where they're guaranteeing you that the car is as sanitary as it possibly can get. And of course, that is the big concern. But as we've seen in our Pulse surveys, as we've talked about on previous podcasts, actually the the part of the travel industry is more likely to recover quicker in this COVID crisis is the car rental or 
any kind of car service because people aren't going to be sitting next to someone they don't know or are not familiar with. So they have less of a chance. They feel like they have less of a chance of contracting COVID and they have more of a control over who enters that space or doesn't enter that space. Obviously, you're not going to be expecting strangers to sit down on the passenger side of your rental car or even this kite service. So this kite service looks like it's taking the hassle away that's a that's been associated with traditional rental cars and getting more like a you drive a Uber type of business arrangement. Okay, thanks, Mike. Uh, Jenny and Andrea switching to the digital side of travel. Uh, I think we were surprised recently to see that Airbnb is filing for an IPO, given the uh, big downturn in their business um, at the beginning of the year, with the uh, or in the first half of the year with the whole um, pandemic uh, lockdown. So. So why now? Why? What is uh, Airbnb's um, story, and um, and where do we expect them to go from here? Why Andrea, why don't we start? Why don't we start with you, and then we'll go to Jenny. Thanks. Okay, sure. Yeah. So um, I think the big um, the big part of that headline is a three billion dollar IPO. <laughs> um, it's uh, quite high of a valuation, in my opinion, but. Um, Airbnb, of course, is coming off of uh, a really good summer. Um, there were, you know, as uh, some of the lockdowns lifted in June and July, of course, uh, a lot of people uh, decided to travel and they would choose um, uh, renting a home perhaps over other types of lodging um, to get away. Uh, you know, now, I think as travel um, has travel demand has has gone down a little bit into the fall here, it will be interesting to see, uh, you know, how Airbnb does. But um, I guess once they become public, then all of their financials will be public and we'll, we'll, we'll really be able to see how they're performing as a company uh, overall. Jenny, what, what are your thoughts on Airbnb? Yeah, I mean, I I agree with Andrea. I do think it's an interesting time, uh, just given the fact that you know their their bookings are down double digits, as are you know as is the hotel industry. Um, but uh, you know, if if perhaps this is a way to get a little influx of capital during that time, and I, I their growth model and they, they're they've got a long term strategy for growth. And, and I, I do think at the, at the end of the day, they're going to come out fine. And in terms of like an impact on the, the lodging industry, I don't see this changing. The, the relationship that uh, alternative accommodations and the lodging industry as a whole have at this point. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But the timing does seem different. <laughs> okay, thanks, Jenny. And then just to finish up uh, the, the podcast for this time, uh, Jenny, I, I know you like to keep an eye out for kind of interesting and quirky stories across the travel industry. So, so what do you have for us this month? Well, the, f the fun story I have is actually about one of my favorite, my personal favorite animals, the emu. Um, in Australia, there's a couple of emus apparently that uh, hang out in a small town hotel. And um, they generally never got onto the property, but guests would interact with them outside and take pictures. So they liked it. It was kind of, uh, you know, just a little bit of a touristy attraction that these emus hung out around the hotel. Well, they've recently learned to climb stairs. And so they were able to get to the hotel's uh, rooftop bar. And so they had to to ban the emus from the hotel. And um, 
yeah, that's the end of that story. The emus are no longer allowed inside the <laughs> they were before, but. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I think if I was at the rooftop bar and I saw an emu climbing the stairs, I would, I would probably ask the bartender to, uh, to cut me off at that point. So, <laughs> um, Mike and Jenny and Andrea, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And thanks to our listeners for joining as well. Uh, to learn more about the JD Power Travel Practice, please follow us on LinkedIn uh, or visit us on the web at jdpower.com business. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>